Hi, I'm Deepa, the Sleep Whisperer, and you're listening to another episode of the Sleep Whisperer podcast. This episode has some audio challenges, so I ask you to bear with us. This is an amazing conversation between two sleep experts. On the Sleep Whisperer podcast, we speak about all possible root causes, systems, challenges, protocols, and pathways towards better sleep. Join me each episode for fun conversations that are filled with practical tools and get to meet world-famous experts from around the globe. Let us help you understand what's going on with your sleep and how to restructure sleep from the foundation. Tracy Hannigan is a compassionate sleep coach who helps adults with insomnia reclaim restorative sleep so they can live the active and vibrant lives that they want and deserve. In this conversation, we talk about what is insomnia, what is CBTI, how does CBTI help people, what is cognitive restructuring, how does CBTI help anxiety, what is sleep restriction and compression, and how does CBTI increase relaxation on a deep level and CBTI stands for Cognitive Behavior Therapy for Insomnia. As listeners, it really inspires us to keep putting out new episodes when we hear from you and you can reach out to me at deepa.fight2thrive.com. Be sure to subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app so you get each episode as soon as it launches. If you would like to join me on this journey, write to me. And let me know about someone who has walked a similar path whom I can feature. Better yet, make a personal introduction so that I can share another inspirational story with the Sleep Whisperer world. Take a listen to episode number 42 of the Sleep Whisperer podcast. Welcome to the Sleep Whisperer podcast. I'm your host, Deepa. Join me and my many expert guests and medical professionals from the cutting-edge science of functional medicine of the West and ancient wisdom of the East. Learn all about how to discover your root causes of poor sleep and understand the proper tools and techniques to end your confusion and begin getting a good night's sleep. It's time to regain hope and begin your sleep journey with the Sleep Whisperer podcast. Tracy, it's great to have you on the show today and I know that we have a lot in common. We've got very similar values, principles, which are at the core of great work and I think we really resonate with each other's beliefs. And I've been looking forward to this conversation for so long, ever since we were introduced. Uh, And today we're talking about cognitive behavior therapy for insomnia. And um, I think you have a lot of experience. In fact, I must admit, Tracy, that I'm an absolute newbie to this subject. So you're going to have to give me a complete masterclass on this today. (laughs) And I'm looking forward to learning another tool on my own sleep journey as well. 
So let's talk about how I know everyone who's passionate about sleep and who's in the work of sleep like myself has had a long sleepless journey somewhere in their life for sure. So let's talk about your story. So what, where, where were the pockets of time where you struggled with sleep and how challenging was it for you physiologically, emotionally? And uh, how did you get through it? And how did you discover this specific path that you are now so focused on? Right. Um, well, I agree with you 100% that most people who get involved in the world of helping people with sleep have a personal history with sleep. Um, it's it's academically interesting, but it really gets you right here when you've been there. Um, my first bout of, of insomnia came as a result of a bereavement. Um, I lost my husband when I was quite young and had a, had great difficulty sleeping. That probably went on for, for several years. Um, and then much later, kind of after I went to university the first time and kind of moved on with my life, I had another bout of insomnia that lasted much, much longer. And they were both, they were both quite different experiences. Um, and a lot of people ask me, well, how did you get over the first one? Because you didn't, I didn't know about CBTI then. I only knew about CBTI after my second bout of insomnia. Mm -hmm. Um, and I looked back at that, reflected on it, and what I did, I think, and, it's, and it ties quite nicely into CBTI, actually, is I got very busy with my life, mm. and I got very involved in lots of activities and things that really meant a lot to me, in part to distract from my loss, but in part because I was re-engaging with life, and I focused less on my sleep problems. I became less worried about the sleep and actually that really helped me start sleeping better. And that particular episode of insomnia um, passed after a while. It was a great, great lesson to me to reflect on that in hindsight, because when I came around to the second bout of insomnia, um, I was introduced to the idea of CBTI um, and began much later working with other people using CBTI and it all dovetailed really neatly because this whole concept of not making sleep the focus of your waking life is really, really critical to helping people get past their, their insomnia. And I hadn't quite realized that that's what got me over my first bout. It happened quite naturally. Uh, so wow. when I, when I went, to, went to university, I studied pre-med, um, then I studied psychology. When I moved to the UK, um, after working in public mental health for many, many years, um, seeing lots of sleep problems in mental health settings, um, I was I trained as an osteopath here in the UK, and sleep issues forming quite a big part of everybody's everyday issues um, just really prompted me to do something more with people's um, sleep issues to help them more with that, and so began to do some more training around it. Tracy, I cannot even imagine what you, I mean, I had no idea about your bereavement and honestly, I can't even think about that. And I must say that it sounds a little um, similar in a, not exactly the right way, but uh, my long episode of insomnia actually happened through my first marriage, which was very disturbing and very aggressive. Uh, so in a different way, uh, but I can't even imagine um, having a loss like that. So I just want to take a moment to 
send you some love and send oh, you a big tight hug for that thank because you. that's amazing that you've changed and used that aspect of your life and your journey in this transformational way and i think truly tracy i would say that the people you work with are blessed to have you guiding them because you're a truly <laughs> a, a spiritual light for them uh, so that's amazing but you spoke about insomnia and i know we in the sleep world we say so much about insomnia and everyone um, has a different definition for it so i haven't actually spoken to anybody on what is insomnia so let's talk about that in a little detail yeah so insomnia is generally characterized by difficulty falling asleep uh, difficulty staying asleep or waking up too early and in a way that leaves you unrefreshed and fatigued during the day. Um, there's a bit of debate about how long this has to go on. Uh, usually they say, you know, two or three, four nights a week for three months, but I certainly would not turn away anybody who needed help who has, was one month in, you know, why let it go on for two, three months just to have a definition. Um, I think the important thing about insomnia and how it differs from other sleeping disorders is how people feel during the daytime. So people can have really unrefreshed sleep and they can feel fatigued, but kind of tired and wired. Um, insomnia is characterized by that kind of wired feeling like it's difficult to fall asleep, but difficult to take a nap during the day. That hyper arousal um, is the word we use that characterizes the experience of somebody who has insomnia. Other sleeping disorders tend to make people sleep during the day. So in the screening process, we screen people for pathological sleepiness. Like, are they falling asleep in their car as they're uh, sitting at a stop sign or a stoplight? Are they falling asleep in quiet conversations? Are they, um, are they prone to doing that during the daytime? Because that would generally not be caused by insomnia, but by some other sleeping problem. And it's important to differentiate between those because the particularly the cognitive behavioral therapy approach uh, uses techniques that wouldn't be safe if somebody had one of these other sleeping disorders. Right, and I do want to ask you about, I know that uh, recently, I saw some posts and I know a lot of people talk about, hey, I'm actually the night owl and I get awake at night and that's when my energy is. And honestly, to me, that is a form of sleep disorder and I don't think that's normal. I think it is a dysfunctional adrenal rhythm. But what is your, what are your thoughts about that? You think the night owl is something which is um, just the way some people are wired to be? So that's a really interesting one. Um, a lot of times when people persistently throughout their life have difficulty falling asleep, um, they'll sometimes think that they have insomnia because they're having difficulty falling asleep. And there's a whole host of other conditions that fall under the category of circadian rhythm problems. And the, the interesting thing for me, when you're talking about somebody who has difficulty falling asleep, sleeps late into the day, like a teenager, for example, um, that's a, a circadian rhythm shift. And it's only really a disorder because people who are in that rhythm don't fit into the nine to five workplace life, right? <laughs> um, teenagers don't either. And for teenagers, it's a completely normal phase of development. Um, 
as soon as um, an adolescent starts going through sexual maturity, their brain changes in such a way that it affects their circadian rhythm as a kind of a side effect, which is why it settles down after those changes kind of take place. It's very difficult for them naturally to fall asleep at a time that most people consider kind of a normal time to fall asleep. Um, so you could put them into that category of disorders, but I think for, for that particular one, a delay phase syndrome, um, it's really only a disorder because it affects a person's ability to fit into what we think is a normal life. Um, I know a lot of people with, um, with kind of a delayed phase or my, like myself, an advanced phase, I'm up at five o'clock in the morning, I start early. Um, and that's my normal rhythm. Yes. A lot of people with those yes. rhythms become entrepreneurs because they don't fit into the nine to five lifestyle. And that's just, that's the only issue with it. There are other circadian rhythm problems that are more problematic, but um, I don't like using the word disorder for that one. <laughs> mm. Right. Yeah. I didn't actually think about the teenage years for sure. That does seem a little bit. And I personally have a son who's almost in the teen years and who's definitely showing some signs of these altered rhythms. Uh, okay, let's talk about what mm -hmm. is CBTI because I really have no clue. So just catch me up on everything A to Z of CBTI today. Sure. Um, CBTI is an acronym that stands for Cognitive Behavioral Therapy for Insomnia. And in some ways, it's not really well named because cognitive behavioral therapy for other things is very different from cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia. Mm -hmm. So if you break it down into its pieces, um, cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia works on the unhelpful thoughts that relate to how we sleep and unhelpful behaviors that relate to how we sleep. Um, so within CBTI, uh, we look at those, those unhelpful untrue, often exaggerated, fear-based beliefs about sleep that drive a sleeping problem. And I can give some examples of those. Um, we look at people's sleeping patterns. Um, sometimes when people have a short episode of sleeplessness, um, they may, because everybody has sleeplessness because of stress and uh, things going on in their life, um, work stress, personal stress, et cetera. And how we behave in response to that sleeplessness can bring us back towards healthy sleep, or it can tip us toward developing insomnia as an independent problem. So CBTI addresses those behaviors and tries to use them to kind of reconnect a person to what their natural sleeping rhythms are. Um, a lot of people believe that they've lost the ability to sleep because their insomnia has gone on for so long. But that rhythm, it, it's never gone. It's just that we kind of lose touch with it and we, we stop being able to respond to those signals because of the things that are going on in our, in our heads and that get fed by the behaviors. Um, and I can talk a little bit about those, the classic behaviors yeah. that create the problem. Uh, but CBTI addresses those very specifically. And then often involves um, relaxation training or mindfulness work. That's the approach that I like to take um, as part of a person's whole life experience. Um, the hyperarousal that I mentioned is a part of insomnia. It's the thing that keeps people functional during the daytime, but it's also the thing that prevents them from sleeping well yeah. at night. So it's a 24-7 issue that has yeah. to be addressed 24-7 way. Um, and if you just save addressing those issues for the nighttime, that can create more problems than it can help. Um, so 
working on it as a, as a 24 hour seven project is really important. Makes so much sense, Tracy. And in fact, when somebody talks about, you see a lot of people talking about the ideal dinner for better sleep. And I say your ideal uh, plate for sleep begins at breakfast with what mm -hmm. you eat. So it's something like what you said about the 24 hour. Everything matters. It's not just that few hours before you sleep. You're so right about that. And I would like yep. to talk a little bit more about what you mentioned about the different behaviors. So can we just uh, understand a little bit more about that? Yeah, absolutely. And I guess thinking about it as a 24-hour thing, like we were just saying, my the way that I frame it is that the sleep cycle starts when you wake up. Mm -hmm. um, and all of our, we have so many biological rhythms that are on a kind of circadian rhythm. They have their own rhythm and a lot of them are tied together. Um, growth hormone release, all of those sorts of things. And eating it first thing in the morning, part of that kind of jump starting. Um, but I believe it starts in the morning. And the reason why I characterize a sleep cycle starting in the morning is because we have a natural buildup of certain chemicals, um, adenosine being an important one that happens throughout the day. Um, and we develop more and more of these chemicals uh, that feed what I call sleep drive. And sleep drive builds throughout the day through being awake and being physically active. So if we're doing things like, this is a key behavior, trying to catch up on sleep by sleeping in, late in the morning on some mornings it disrupts that um that start kind of that jump start in the morning with getting some natural light and getting physically moving it reduces a person's total physical activity for the day if they're laying in bed for a couple of hours yeah. um, and if they're getting sleep during that time and it's irregular that affects the the regular habitual buildup of sleep drive that our body becomes accustomed to having. So that's one of the behaviors that really interferes with people's um, people's sleep, and it's a compensation. People feel like if they try to get a little extra sleep, they will feel better, but it can actually create more problems. And that's that trying to get trying to sleep creates anxiety because we can't force it yes. and the behaviors that develop because we're trying to get more sleep affect the circadian system and our sleep drive system in a really detrimental way. Yeah, for sure. That stress about sleeplessness is a big piece of the problem because it truly is. And I know that even after a lot of uh, work in the space, there are times when I wake up some nights for some reason, and then I do stress that I need to wake up and I, I stress over my sleeplessness, for sure. It's very easy to fall into that trap. So I think it's important to be empathetic to people who actually go through those challenges. Um, so how do Absolutely. you feel that uh, it actually, how does CBT actually uh, I know that you said in your first uh, insomnia episode after your bereavement, you actually didn't know about CBTI. So at that phase, what did you actually do to get over it? I'd like to understand that before we get to how CBTI yeah. helped you. Yeah, so... I didn't purposefully do anything specific. Well, I, I take that back. So I was trying all the things. And this was a long time ago. This is many this is decades ago. I was taking pills and tablets and herbs and all these sorts of things in an attempt to try to sleep. And now I look at it and I say, well, I was really anxious about it. And I was kind of feeding that anxiety. 
But as I started to feel a little bit better and have more energy for being in the world again, I started, uh, I was, I switched jobs. I started volunteering. Um, I developed a new social life. And in hindsight, it was taking what I created as a very large problem in my head. Um, and I've kind of made it smaller and put it more in proportion with the other things that were going on in my life. And that's how I got through it. Um, and there are techniques and strategies that are part of CBTI that help people think through a process of doing that on purpose. The first time I did that, I didn't realize what I was doing. It just happened. And now I can see why. It's because yeah. I kind of put sleep, sleep problems in their box, which helped them become smaller. Um, and the rest of my life and the things that were really important to me just became larger and larger and crowded that out. And as a function of being busy and being happy, um, I got better sleep. Beautiful, Tracy. So I really want us to talk about all that you mentioned. How does CBTI actually help people? And then later we can just go a little bit into detail about how it works. So how does it actually help? So CBTI has about 30 years of evidence behind it. Um, and it, it helps by working on those dysfunctional beliefs about, about sleep. A lot of people, because it feels terrible and because everybody else seems to do it just fine, we start to think there's something wrong with us and we start to feel anxious about not sleeping. Um, and we start to psychologically attribute all of the bad things that are happening to us to the fact that we're not sleeping, which just makes our anxiety even bigger. So the cognitive piece of CBTI helps with working out those thoughts. For example, um, I might lay in bed worrying about having an argument with my spouse. And say I have this worry 28 days out of 30, right? And how many days do I have an argument with my spouse? probably far fewer than 28 out of 30 days. Mm -hmm. But also when I was sleeping well, I might have an argument with my spouse. So trying to look at those and put them in perspective a little bit more um, can help take that anxiety down. Um, and then working with the behavioral pieces by reattaching people to their natural sleep rhythms. Like pick, doesn't even matter what time you get up in the morning. Usually people pick a time that suits their life no matter how much you sleep or how little you sleep, always get up at the same time and start that start that cycle. That's the most important behavioral piece. Mm. Oh, absolutely. And when you mentioned 5 a.m., my clock is actually go to bed by 8 and be up by about 4. So it's a totally different rhythm. And of course, I know there are a lot of people who used to tell me that when you are waking up, that's the time I'm going to bed. Uh, so, uh, of course, as I said, I think if you're not a teenager, I would definitely feel that was something to be concerned about. Uh, typically, because there are there is evidence that uh, the light and dark cycles play so much role on systems. And of course, but we're not talking about that today. Let's talk about I did a little research before our conversation, look through your site. Uh, so I'd like to know, I've, I've read this term cognitive restructuring. Uh, so what exactly is that in the context of CBTI and how does that, how do you actually implement it? So 
cognitive restructuring would fall into that, that cognitive piece. Um, and part of this begins as an educational process of, of uh, examining what someone's thoughts are around sleep and identifying them. Are they rational or are they not rational? If they're, if they're not rational, for example, um, worrying every night that you're going to crash the car, but you've never actually crashed the car, but the worry about crashing the car is now the thing keeping you awake, being able to pick, pick that apart and have somebody viscerally experience that it is and really understand for themselves that that is not a rational worry and to see how that's affecting their sleep. Because a lot of the things that we worry about about sleep, they are um, exaggerations or catastrophizations um, and are generally not fully based in reality. Um, yes. And so again, putting, putting, those, putting those things into perspective. And it's one thing for me to just tell somebody this, but to walk somebody through the process of really understanding it. Um, and so part of that process includes listing out what those thoughts are. Again, during the day, not at, not at night. Um, I, and identifying those, what kind of thought is this? And if you follow that through to its end, there's a technique called following something through to its end. If you follow that through to its end and you ask somebody, so what happens next? And what happens next? And what could happen next? Eventually they see how ridiculous it is. Um, and it really changes their feeling about having that original thought. So there are a variety of different ways depending on, on what the, the technique, what the issue is. But having somebody identify their own thoughts and recognize them through this process as not being realistic is, is really helpful. So I know that, I mean, my mind popped right there to, um, for somebody, uh, what appears irrational to me might be very real to them. So how do you actually differentiate that? And Give us a few examples of what are rational thoughts, what are irrational thoughts. I know you mentioned one, but maybe give a few more examples so that people can actually relate to what are potentially rational and doesn't serve them. Yeah, so um, somebody could have, so one of the, so the example is our, the argument with, with the spouse and not attributing it only to sleep or, or a difficult situation at work where that situation could have arose as a result of something else. So on one level, both of those could be rational and they both can be irrational. They have rational and irrational components. Mm. And so identif identifying those is, is important. So if you're concerned, for example, about having having an argument at work with your boss and then you're going to get fired and then you're going to lose your house and then you're going to lose your spouse and then you're never going to see your kids again, right? You look at all these pieces of the fear mm. and you take, take each one and, and look at its, at its probability. Okay, you might have an argument with your boss, but does that mean it leads to the next thing? Does that mean that it leads to the next thing? And asking those questions, does it lead to the next thing? Does it always lead to the next thing? And uh, some of those might be legitimate worries. Say you are having a big presentation at work tomorrow and you really don't want to mess it up and you're nervous about it. Or maybe you have this presentation next week, looking at that and saying, how can I best prepare so that I can do the absolute best that I can and not blame it just on, on sleep because we might not prepare as fully as we could otherwise other issues could affect that and looking at that a little bit more holistically in advance. Um, 
I myself am a person who will wake up in the night with lots of things in my head. And so one of the things I do when I'm very busy, and this is something that I suggest for a lot of people to help um, wind that down a little bit, is to make a list after dinner time of all those things that tend to roll around in your head. Yeah. They might be some of these worries and put them on a piece of paper, literally fold it up, put it aside and tell it good night. <laughs> I don't need to think oh. about you again tomorrow. <laughs> oh, that's beautiful, Tracy. I'm going to try Everybody, tonight. Everybody's list will look different, but people's common worries are, are about having, having accidents, about being a bad parent. Yes. Um, yes. But I know having been been sleepless myself and a parent I have a teenager um, who doesn't like to get up before noon um, no, I think parenthood is a recipe for guilt it doesn't matter how well you sleep oh, absolutely. how much money you make or how happy you are or how whatever your situation is you're always going to be worried that you're not doing it <laughs> good enough Right. So I think yes, that one absolutely. needs to be. <laughs> yes, I think I hear you from one mommy to another. I feel your pain and I resonate with that so much. I'm giggling inside as we speak. Um, but yeah, I think I'm going to try that for sure because that's a great tool. And it's, I think it's important. I also tell people journaling, but this seems like a great tool because you're actually seeing it. And when you spoke about fear, Tracy, my mind also went to because I do a lot of uh, focus on adrenal function. And, you know, in traditional Chinese medicine, there is the connection between the adrenals and fear that if you're feeling a lot of fear, then the adrenals don't have stable function. So it's definitely uh, CBTI is mm. something I'm going to try and bring in in little aspects so I might just come to you for something because anxiety is rampant fear is everywhere uh, so this is these are beautiful tools yeah. and these are simple tools that are there for people to use them whether they have access to a practitioner or I mean it's a small but potently powerful tool you gave us right there so I want to thank you for that little gift to us today uh, on the oh, little folded up thank note. You. It's so nice to externalize that anxiety you know because the anxiety grows in here yes. but it can't grow on paper. You fold that up and you and you write down maybe even write down the next thing you're going to do about the thing you're going to worry about so you already have a plan. Yes, and you just fold it up and set it set it away physically externalize it's one of the most powerful things i've done and it's so simple and it's interesting tracy that there has been several episodes where people have spoken about anxiety and sleep and the connection between the two and there's so many different perspectives but the i think the commonality is that there's so many people who do understand this bi-directional connection between sleeplessness and anxiety and it's great to see that there's so much wonderful information and wonderful work out there for people to use if they require uh, another thing that i did look at when i was reading about cbti was this term which is sleep restriction and compression. So is there anything, uh, can you tell us a little bit about what that actually means? 
Yeah, yeah. So um, sleep restriction is, it's a kind of a, a term that makes me cringe a little bit. It's the original term because the last thing you want to tell somebody who's not sleeping well is we're going to restrict your sleep, yes. right? So it sounds very harsh. <laughs> yes. But what sleep restriction does um, and sleep compression is it provide it, uh, it working with a therapist generally this is a technique that is particularly not safe for people who are sleepy in the daytime as opposed to fatigued is that you look at look at your sleeping pattern and a lot of times people spend a lot of extra time in bed that they're not sleeping mm. so sleep restriction removes that extra time so if somebody lays in bed for nine hours because they're would go to bed later at six o'clock and would work. And eventually um, it's difficult in the beginning because if you have broken sleep, you still might be waking up in the middle of the night a couple of times. But eventually your body and mind get with the program and they say, this is the time I have to sleep. So I better start sleeping now. <laughs> um, and that sleep will start to consolidate and and then you can expand out the amount of time that you spend in bed. Um, the secondary benefit of doing this strategy, and it can be done without the compression part, is that it's removing any time that you're spending awake in bed out of the picture. Uh, we spend our whole life up until we have insomnia, with bed being the place that we sleep, I'm not doing that experience day. So that sleep relationship is really to sleep in that relationship. So spending time out of bed when you're not sleeping is actually very doing sleep restriction by itself. You don't even have to do sleep restriction. Sometimes you can just get up first thing in the morning don't go to bed until you're ready to fall asleep. And if you get up in the night and you're not falling back asleep, to so just take that awake energy and move it someplace else and go back to bed when you're sleeping. Oh, that's interesting because normally sometimes you would tell somebody who wakes up in the middle of the night to uh, not get out of bed, to stay in bed and try and fall asleep. But that, of course, can also be a bit stressful. So this is a contrary to what a lot of people actually do so they don't get out of bed you wake up in the night you stay there you try and fall back asleep so it's an interesting differentiation there uh, so Tracy how does CBTI increase relaxation on an overall basis which then of course helps you to fall asleep so within CBTI, one of the pillars of it is relaxation training. And that can look different depending on what therapist you're working with. Um, my particular approach is mindfulness. Um, and so I encourage people to take up a mindfulness practice during the day. Um, and it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to start as something extremely formal. It can simply be stepping out of your thoughts and just observing what's happening in the moment. And like washing your hands or going out onto the cold grass. Um, it's cold here right now. We're going out onto the cold grass and just to change the experience. But if you stay there, you start experiencing the full experience of being there. Yeah. And 
this kind of training is very helpful because when it comes to being sleepless at night, for example, if you can be mindful of that experience and experience the whole experience, you're not going to attach yourself to one thought, which is I must force myself to sleep or I'm going to get fired and then I'm going to lose my job and I'm going to lose my, you start, you don't put down what I call the rabbit hole because you, you are able to then encompass your whole experience where it belongs because you're having a fuller experience. Um, I used to think that this all sounded very woo, but there's a lot of evidence that these types of approaches are very, very helpful, um, not just for sleep, but for life, um, for people's stress levels in general, and bringing down that arousal level that keeps our warning radar on at nighttime, which is the thing that keeps us awake. Um, it's the best thing you can do for your, for your whole life. By the time mindfulness helps your sleep, you're not so worried about not sleeping anymore. And that's the trick. Sometimes people will want to know what's the best mindfulness trick I can do when I'm trying to get to sleep at night. And that sounds like a lot of trying energy and a lot of forcing energy. And these are really skills that you have to build. They're not something that you can use like a hammer on a nail. It's the nail and you're just going to bash it on the head. Um, it doesn't work like that. And it would be counterproductive to do that. It would, be, it would not work because it takes practice. Um, and then you would think it failed and then you would get worried and upset and it would kind of create more of a problem. So these are really, whether it's mindfulness, um, a yoga practice, a meditation practice of any kind, incorporating it into your whole life has a beneficial side effect on how you view sleep. And that's where it benefits sleeping. Wonderful, Tracy. Could you share one simple mindfulness practice that people could start doing today, which uh, doesn't require too much of uh, effort or going somewhere, but something they can bring into their life on a daily basis right away? Yeah, so this one is actually one my son taught me. So uh, just really briefly, my son, I, he was washing, washing the dishes and he was maybe 10 at the time and he was taking a long time. And I walked in and I looked at him and I said, what are you doing? He said, I'm just running my hands under the water. Mm. So um, being present, doing, just doing that and feeling what it feels like and watching the thoughts that you're having um, feeling what it feels like on your hands. Is the water hot? Is it cold? Is it getting your sleeve wet? What do your feet feel like on the ground? Are you in shoes or are you in bare feet on the tile? What does it feel like? Can you hear birds outside? Um, this is not to deny any thoughts or feelings that come in. So you can acknowledge those thoughts. Oh, I see that I'm thinking about the things I have to put on my to-do list, which is a very different experience than washing your hands without experiencing that and only thinking about the to-do list. It's just a broader experience. And sometimes it's difficult for people to imagine doing it. It sounds very esoteric. So I will give them, this is a great one to practice shifting your perspective. Think about what it feels like to be your left arm. Just, and you just focus all of your attention on your left arm. Mm. And can you feel very much? Sometimes it's hard to feel what's going on with your left arm because we don't think about our left arm very much. We're much more likely to think about our feet. 
So if you switch your attention to your foot and what does it feel like on the ground? I'm wearing a sock and a, uh, a rubber slipper so I can feel that. And I can feel that I shift my weight a little bit to my right hand side, for example. So I can experience that experience. And then I can say, okay, what is it like to be my left arm? I can, I can shift my attention to anything that I want to. We habitually shift our attention to the same kinds of things all the time without experiencing the full experience. And so practicing shifting that attention can be really useful and practicing observing what these things feel like are mundane activities like washing our hands or washing the dishes or just folding the laundry and giving that shirt a bit of a shake and hearing the crack and smelling the fabric softener and all of those uh, sensory experiences. We take those things for granted because we, we live up here and we live in the past and in the future instead of seeing things is happening right now. And I think that's a great mental reframe for mundane jobs in the house as well, Tracy, because those are potentially areas where we tend to get very frustrated. Oh, I'm so fed up of doing the dishes or I'm so fed up of folding the clothes. But to just reframe that and use it like a tool for your mindfulness practice, which is beautiful because that's really what ancient uh, souls have spoken about that meditation is not about just sitting in a spot it's about feeling that connection in whatever you do the most simple tasks of your life and that can take yeah. away the frustration from those daily jobs as well absolutely and we certainly have lots and lots of them um i like i like to see these things as as opportunities yes um, I don't particularly like folding the clothes either, but it's an opportunity to, to stop thinking about what's going to happen next or to say to myself, I see that I'm thinking about what's going to happen next. Is that actually serving me right now? Usually it's not. Usually it's worrying about something that is, does not have to be dealt with right now. And it takes away from our experience to go there until the time comes to get there. <laughs> hmm. So Tracy, do you have anything you feel that you'd like to share on CBTI before we conclude the show? So I think that the, the most important take home lesson from all of CBTI, um, and especially having listened to, to this show, people may understand it and it doesn't sound so funny to say it. I think the most important thing is to not try to sleep. So trying creates stress, strain, and anxiety because we can't force this. We can only create a space for our natural ability of, to sleep to be there. And trying is what interferes with it and makes it more difficult to happen. Um, yeah, I think you never lose that ability. So don't try for it. It will come to you. Beautiful. And I think creating that sacred space and in your body, in your environment, in your mind is very critical to the sleep process. So Tracy, in uh, your eyes, what do you think is the biggest root cause of this growing sleepless epidemic that's out there? I think it is anxiety. I think mm -hmm. it is anxiety. Yeah. Um, whether or not we have a pandemic going on or not, people's lives are busier. 
Um, our phones follow us everywhere. We can't get away from the things that we feel mentally attached to, like the next thing we have to do, the emails, the, the responding to things. We don't give ourselves space to step away from those things. And it's, um, it's a boundaries issue that creates anxiety for people. I think that is, that is the root cause. And then of course, the anxiety about not sleeping feeds that. That's so true, Tracy. And I want to have you finish our mantra before we actually conclude. So how would you finish if sleep is the new medicine then? If sleep is the new medicine, then stop trying so hard to cure it. <laughs> oh, that's lovely, Tracy. It's such a pleasure having you today. And I just feel as if your old souls connected to each other for sure. And uh, where can people find you or where would you like to direct people uh, to follow the work so, um, that you do? Yeah, um, I have a website, tracythesleepcoach.co.uk. And I also have a group on Facebook called Sound Sleep Strategies. Um, it's a free support group. Um, there's about 500 amazing people in there at the moment. Um, and it's a, it's a pretty positive um, CBTI oriented place to come hang out and learn more about sleep. Lovely, Tracy. Thank you so much for giving me our time today and for enriching our lives with the beautiful knowledge of CBTI, which I for sure will carry with me and I will be in touch with you and definitely we will stay connected and um, Definitely. hope to meet again someday back where you first came to India in Thiruvannamalai so one day we will do that walk around the mountain together bare feet and ground our energy that would be amazing <laughs> thank you Tracy thank you Hey everyone, I hope you enjoyed the show. Just a reminder that this podcast is for information purposes only. This is not a substitute for professional care by a doctor or otherwise qualified health professional. This information is provided on the understanding that it does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services. If you are looking for personal help, on your health journey, do seek out a medical practitioner. Please do make your own healthcare decisions based upon your research and in partnership with your doctor or otherwise qualified healthcare professional. It is in no way intended as medical advice as a substitute for medical counseling or as treatment or cure for any particular health condition. Be sure to always work directly with a qualified health practitioner before making any changes to your diet or lifestyle that may feel out of your realm of comfort or understanding. If you are looking for an allied functional medicine practitioner, do seek out more information on www.phytothrive.com or www.sleepwhisperer.pro. It is important that you have someone who is qualified and understands your health personally in order to provide adequate care, especially when it comes to chronic health conditions. Thank you.